Thanks for checking out the Southcrest Church Podcast. We are one church meeting in two locations in South Atlanta. You can find us online at southcrest.church, where you can listen to our past sermons, watch our 4G stories, and learn more about who we are. Let's prepare our hearts to hear a word from God today. Hey, good morning. How is everybody? Good, good. It is great to see your face. You look an hour more rested. So look at the person next to you and say, you needed that beauty sleep. Okay? You needed it. So, hey, I want to welcome both of our campuses, Noonan and LaGrange. We are live together. Let's give each campus a big round of applause. Yeah? Hey, let me say this. If your dogs, your hogs, your frogs, whatever team you have that won yesterday, woo, that's right. Some of you got hope. Right? And some of you lost hope this weekend. But it's all good because Jesus is still Lord, all right? And people are still weird. So I'm glad that you're here today. We're in this series called That's Crazy. And uh, last week we introduced the idea that God wants us to live by a different type of crazy. Right? Because we can see things in our world and we can just go, that's crazy, right? Like the Chicago Cubs won the World Series. That's crazy. Some of you weren't even Cub fans till Wednesday night. That's crazy, right? There's a lot of weird things going on in our world, a lot of crazy things. In fact, I just want to, I kind of want to take a temperature of the room, LaGrange and Noonan. How many of you are ready for Tuesday to be over? Yeah, that's the most unified thing we've ever said as a church is, Lord, just get it over with, right? It's like allergy testing. Lord, just get it over with. Come on. And, uh, and that's really where we are. And, and last week, we, we started this idea. We talked about that's crazy. God wants us to live by a different type of crazy. We looked at the book of Hebrews chapter 11, and we made some key statements about why we're facing as believers in Christ and maybe even people who are looking for faith, why we're facing such a crisis in our life. And it's because we're on this relentless pursuit of safe, right? We want safe. And somehow we have... We have fought to believe that this world can somehow bring us some form of safety. That if the candidate I want gets elected or the party that I want gets elected, that I can be safe. And so we, we struggle with that, but we talked about how God even told us in the book of Hebrews 11, he's prepared something better for us. And because of that, I just, I love this statement. Jesus never came to take sides politically. He came to take over. In fact, I just want to tell you this. The whole Roman government fell because of Christianity. It wasn't because they ran out of money or had bad policies or, or got a bad emperor. or bad. Listen, when the church exploded and people started telling others about this Jesus that had come out of the grave, <laughs> there was no government could stand against it. And the Roman Empire began to crumble because Christianity, Christ inuity became real. It became a reality. So I want to say here today, I just want to remind you, man, the government's on Jesus' shoulders. The Bible promises that in the book of Isaiah. He said, it'll be on his shoulders. I, Jesus was born into political unrest. We forget that sometimes. So Jesus didn't come to take sides. He came to be Lord and he came to take over. And because Jesus did that, listen, Jesus never came so we could draw a deeper line in the sand and have fights about what we think is right and wrong when it comes to our political beliefs. Jesus didn't have to put a line in the sand because he put a cross in the ground and that forever changed humanity. So wherever you are on that spectrum today, I just want to tell you, I think today's message is going to give you hope. 
So I want to ask you a question. You ever just been desperate before? Everybody come to a place in your life where something happened to you and you just were desperate? Raise your hand if you've ever had a desperate moment in your life. Now, some of you desperate is when you reach your hand down into the bag of the Chick-fil-A sack and there's no waffle fries left. Or you realize that your wife ate the last waffle fry or your children ate the last. That's a desperate moment, right? You're like, you're trying everything you can. I want to tell you a desperate moment in my life. I I became a Christian at the age of 17, and in my first Christmas as a believer in Christ, I was singing in this, this singing group at my home church there in Oklahoma City, and my parents decided as a really good Christmas gift on Christmas Eve, they would get me a pair of uh, uh, head, head trimmers, like shavers, you know, so I could cut my own hair. And uh, they bought me one of those, like, uh, those shavers that has the, the they call them uh, uh, little things on the end, so you get it like it's a two, it's a three, you know, it's a one. And uh, I opened that up, man, I'm so excited. I'm like, tonight's Christmas Eve. We're gonna be singing at the church. It's candlelight service. And I decided I'm gonna pull that thing out and I'm gonna try it on, right? And I pull it out and, and, I, and, I, and back then, of course, you know, we're talking late 80s here. There was a lot of funky hairdos back then. And, uh, and I go to actually try the thing out and I forgot to, they call it a cheater. I forgot to put the cheater on that deal. And I did this, I just went, And I'll never forget this. I looked to the side and all I saw was a square of my hair that was gone. I became really desperate, so desperate that I walked in and my family's sitting there and they're looking at me like, hey, you got a square on your head. And I look at my sister-in-law, Patsy, true story. I would love for her to tell it someday, but, but she literally looked at me and she said, you got a problem. She pulls out some mascara from her purse and begins to paint the square in. That night I stood on stage in front of a couple thousand people. Nobody noticed. I was so afraid. You know when you're 17, right? And when it was over, one girl came up to me and she kind of looked at the side of my hair and she said, I think one side's a little more than the other. (laughs) Man, sometimes in your life, you're just desperate for hope. And in what we're going through in our world, there are many of us, here's what we're doing. We're, we're going out and we're telling the world what we're desperate about. We're talking about political polls. We're talking about the environment. We're talking about all these things. And so sometimes we think this, we say, hey, shouldn't we be weighing in and telling people how to vote? Like, shouldn't I be going online and telling people, isn't that my moral obligation? Like, it's my moral obligation. Like, I gotta go tell the world what, what Fox News just said or what CNN just said or what, what, what the Wall Street Journal just said. And we feel that way. In fact, I know there's, there's been people criticize me. They're like, you don't talk about that stuff. We're desperate. And so we have to feel some way that somehow our voice is heard And we have to find a way to say it in a way that that we feel like we'll say, man, this is what I really think needs to happen. We're desperate for hope. Let me tell you, there's another type of desperate here today. It's not just for a political change. Some of you are going through illnesses in your life. Some of you are going through a crisis in your life, a financial crisis. Some of you are going through a marriage crisis in your life. And you're like, I am desperate for hope. Some of you have experienced death in your family. Some of you have lost someone you loved recently. Some of you have gone through an illness and they've put a label on that illness and that label scares you to death. 
and you're just desperate for hope. But I want to tell you news today before we jump into this talk, because I think this is important for us to realize. God loves to meet us at our place of desperation. God loves to meet us at our place of desperation. We're going to see that even more next week when you hear what we talk about next week. But when we get to that place where we're like, God, I'm just desperate for hope. Like, I need to know that, like, you are not only in charge, but, like, you are truly who you say you are and that you can do exactly what you say you can do. Because here's what we do. We believe God to a certain point, and then we want to bargain the rest through our own feelings, right? Oh, yeah, I believe God. But Tuesday night, I'm going to bite all my nails off. Yeah, I believe God. But when it comes time to give to things for the kingdom, we're like, "Ah, I don't believe God that much. Yeah, I believe God, but the person next to us just asked us to tell us about the hope that we have, and we're scared to death if we tell them about Jesus, they won't be our friend anymore. We're all desperate for hope. But God loves to meet us at the greatest place of our, listen, I don't care what you're going through today, LaGrange, Noonan, it doesn't matter. When you are desperate for hope, That seems to be when God shows up in a way that you and I could never dream of. And I wanna say this, our country is desperate for hope. If you have your Bible, turn to the book of Mark chapter five. Mark chapter five. Talk to you about a story that's found in the Bible. Jesus's ministry had really begun to blossom. So much so that he was literally going from different parts of Galilee And he's talking to people and he's healing people. And word gets out that Jesus is changing people's lives and suddenly the crowds go from small crowds to bigger crowds to bigger crowds to people waiting on the shoreline for him to get there. So the Bible says he left one place. He had just healed a a demon-possessed boy. And he comes across the lake and he probably comes to Capernaum and, and, and maybe that Galilee area right where the, the many, many miracles happened and Jesus gets off the boat. And in this story, we see these things happen. Look what it says in Mark chapter five, verse 21. When Jesus had, be, had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was still by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. Now, let me give you the understanding of who Jairus was. Jairus was a synagogue leader. He was kind of like the executive pastor of the village. So he was the one that took care of the synagogue. And the synagogue was more than just like a place to come worship. It was was much like a community center in that area. So he was the one that made sure that the lights were on, which they didn't have lights. He's the one that made sure that things were taken care of. He was the one that made sure that everything was done right. But all of a sudden in the story, we see this guy named Jairus And he's running to Jesus, and here's why. His daughter is at home dying. She's dying. And back in those days, whether you realize this or not, before someone died in the Jewish culture, they would actually hire mourners to come into the home and begin the mourning process sometimes before the loved one had even died. 
So they had probably already called in the, the, the mourners, you know, gone to Angie's list or whatever and pulled them out and said, hey, we need you to come over at this time, start mourning at four, blah, 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 blah. Things are getting desperate. I'm sure that Jairus, before he found Jesus, had probably heard the mourners wailing and his daughter's still there and she's dying and she's not even dead. So they're sitting there wailing and all of a sudden, in my mind, I get this picture because I love good movies. You guys love good movies that have cinematography? I love the picture that probably when Jesus came on shore, it says the crowds were coming around him and all of a sudden you see the synagogue leader of which everyone would have known who he was come running through the crowd to get to Jesus and he falls down at his feet. Look what the Bible says in verse 23. He pleaded earnestly with him. My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. And so Jesus went with him and a large crowd followed and pressed around him. Now, let me say this. In the Jewish culture, for a man to pull up his cloak and come running through a crowd would have been very undignified. It would have been something men never did. You would have never seen a father come running through a crowd. That's what's so amazing about the story of the prodigal son. Because the father broke all the protocol. It wasn't politically correct for Jairus to come running through the crowd with his cloak in his hand, falling at the feet of Jesus. And not only that, they had it out for Jesus. He was healing people. He was a threat to the religious leaders. And so in this moment, for him to come and to kneel down, probably the religious leaders would have said, oh my gosh, we got to talk to him. Oh, he totally embarrassed us. He is falling at the feet of this guy that's healing people. Does he not know what that's going to do to us? That is so not so PC. But he didn't care. In fact, I want to say this. When you're desperate, you just don't care. His daughter's dying. He runs into the crowd and he gets Jesus. So the Bible says, so Jesus went with him and a large crowd followed and pressed around him. You see, I think at this moment that Jairus fell at his feet, I think that's when true faith really was ignited in his heart. He had to be willing to let go of what everyone else thought about him, run through a crowd. Oh, that's Jairus. He's kneeling at Jesus' feet. But see, here's the truth about that. True faith is always the willingness to look foolish. I mean, you can say all day long, man, I believe in God. I, I believe in what Jesus, I believe in the word of God. I believe God wants this. I believe, but, but true faith is always the willingness to look foolish. There's that moment you just put it out there and Jairus put it out there. He's at the feet of Jesus. And I just think that's such a beautiful thing. He's so desperate for hope. And he makes a vital decision. I'm gonna put my hope in someone not just something. So Jairus begins to take Jesus toward his house. Come on, I can just see him. Come on, Jesus, my daughter's dying. Like, we gotta get there. Like, I heard the mourners singing as I was leaving the house. Like, Jesus, we gotta get there. Like, I am desperate. But the Bible tells us something happens on the way. They encounter a woman. Jairus' daughter was 12 years old. The woman that they encountered had been sick for 12 years. The Bible says about this woman that she had a bleeding condition. 
which would have meant that she was not only seen as unclean, but she would have probably been isolated and alone. But in a moment of despair, she defies what everyone else says she should have done because the Bible says she spent all her money on doctors. And the doctors not only couldn't help her, they actually said her condition got worse. But all of a sudden, she sees Jesus coming through the crowd and here's her thought. If I can just touch Jesus. She's desperate for hope. And at that place, The Bible says that she pressed through and she grabbed the back of his garment and Jesus heals her. And see, it's at that point we go, man, what a story. Jesus healed her. But stop for just a second. The Bible says that Jesus did more than heal her. Because when Jesus healed her, he did something more for her. The Bible says when Jesus knew that the power had come out from him, he looked around in the crowd and he said these words, who touched me? Who touched me? Now, I just have this feeling Jesus knew who touched him, (laughs) right? It was kind of like a pop quiz right there in the village. Who touched me? A, B, C, or D. But here's why Jesus said that. Jesus wanted to do something greater for the woman. Look at verse 32. But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing that what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. She just came and spilled her guts. Look what it says. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from suffering. Now, for some of us, that's going to blow up our theology. And here's why. Because somewhere in growing up in church and all of our life, we just say, sometimes God heals, sometimes, and and I get that, I get that. But Jesus throws something in there that will blow up some of our belief about God. And here's what he says. He says, daughter, your faith has healed you. Let me tell you what that means. Faith is the trigger of God's power. You get that? Faith is the trigger of God's power. It's undeniable. And what does that also mean? It means that if faith is the trigger of his power, imagine the long-term impact of unbelief. I think in America, I think of what's going on in our world, and I think, is there ever been a greater time that we need the power of God on our nation? And yet we as the church are the ones that have the opportunity to step up in faith and be the church. And I love this because he healed her for more than her condition. He healed her of her own shame and her own belief. She had spent 12 years unclean. Listen, you couldn't go to the temple. You couldn't even get near a rabbi. But he also healed her unbelief. Because he looks at her and he says, your faith has healed you. But Jesus didn't stop there. Why did Jesus want to call her out? Do you think Jesus called her out because he wanted everyone to know how how bad her suffering was? No. Here's why Jesus calls her out. He wanted to show her that I'm more than just your healer. I'm your savior. He calls her daughter. 
She probably hadn't heard that word for years. Here's what the world would have called her. Scum. Bleeder. Dying. Unclean. Get away from me. You're not worthy. You have nothing. But Jesus calls her daughter. He said, hey, I want to be more than just your healer here. I want to be your savior. You know why else I think Jesus called her out? Because he knew that Jairus was there and Jairus was watching the whole thing go down. And Jairus was like, Jesus, we got to get to my daughter. We got... Jesus just healed that woman. I think God used that moment to kind of use her faith to kind of prepare Jairus for the, his moment of faith. But I'll tell you why else I think Jesus called her out publicly. I think Jesus was using that moment to just set her up for the rest of her life to tell her story. Hey, isn't that the woman that just used to bleed? <laughs> no, that's not how everyone else would remember her anymore. Hey, that's the woman that believed Jesus so much. She just got to his garment and he healed her. Uh, that's your story, right? That's my story. At the age of 17, Jesus healed me. <laughs> he set me free from myself. He, he gave me grace. He gave me hope. He gave me love. He gave me the gospel. And the, the truth is this, like that's my story. And Jesus calls her out because he says, I'm calling you out because I want people to hear your future story. You got a testimony to share. I have a feeling she didn't leave there and talk a lot about her bleeding after that. <laughs> I bet she left there and talked about Jesus everywhere she went. But look at the story. Look at verse 35. While they're still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader, and here's what they said. Your daughter is dead. They said, why bother the teacher anymore? Wow. How confused Jairus must have been. He went from this could happen, Jesus is coming, it might happen, to suddenly it ain't going to happen. And they walk up and here's what they said. They said, Jairus, don't even bother. We're just coming to tell you she's dead. Why bother? You know, when I read that, I was reminded of that's where much of our culture is in America. That's an unbelief statement. Why bother? Why bother if I vote? Why bother? Why bother if I go tell my friend about Jesus? Why bother? Why bother if I pray for that person? Why bother? Listen. We have an epidemic in America of why bother. And I want to tell you today, as the pastor of this church, we need God to set us free from it. Listen, as Americans, we are so blessed and so amazingly, God's given us so much. And yet, at this moment in history, if we're not careful, we're just going to step back and we're going to look at all the culture around us. And here's what we're going to say why bother? It's over. I mean, listen, there's been more pity parties through this election cycle than I've ever seen in the history of my life. And I looked at Tracy one day, I said, is this for real or am I just getting older? And she looked at me, she said, it's for real. Like there's some crazy people doing some crazy, and, and here's what it comes down to. When 
everything that you hoped for becomes lost, you're either going to believe God or you're going to say, why bother? Why bother? That's why people are running away from the church. I'm hurt. I can't deal with my stuff. So I got to go hide. Why bother? Listen, I believe this is true. There's going to be many people die in the place of their why bother. There's some of us today, we're dealing with addiction. And here's what we're saying. Why bother? Our marriages are on the last of the last of the last strand. And we're just like, man, just why bother? And our kids are like, man, my kid, he's like crazy. Like, I don't want to know what happened to him. Like he was normal when he was seven. And now he's 17. Woo! Wow. We're just like, why bother? Listen, folks, it's at the moment that we get stuck with the news that we need to be careful we don't say, why bother? It doesn't matter if you've been abused, offended, your dreams are dead. It just doesn't matter. Because I think at this moment, it's the greatest moment of one of Jesus' ministry healings. Look what he says in verse 35 or 36. Jesus takes over the situation. And let me say this. I love it when Jesus takes over. He says, overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. That word overhearing, if you go back and retranslate it, it means he ignored what they said. And Jesus just ignored it. They walk in, hey, hey, Jairus, don't bother Jesus, man. He just healed a woman and your daughter's dead. The mourner's already there. Just take your time. There's no hope, you know. And Jesus steps in and he says, overhearing what they said, don't be afraid, just believe. You see, what should scare us the most in our world is not what we see in our world, but what the world doesn't see in us. The world is watching us and they're saying, why bother? It's all corrupted. It's all this. It's, listen, why bother voting for a candidate? Just write in your uncle's name. Why bother? And Jesus looks back at him and he says, don't be afraid. Just believe. So much fear in us. What ought to scare us the most is not what we see in our world, but what the world doesn't see in us. Did you hear that, church? What does the world see in us? Do they see a people standing up saying, it's going to bother me because until Jesus comes back, I'm going to give my life, my heart, my soul to bringing others to him. And that's what matters the most. And it doesn't matter who sits in an office because Jesus is sitting on a throne. I love those phrase. Don't be afraid. Just believe. You know, fear is the evidence that our confidence is shaken. Our world, our country right now, their conf- our confidence is shaken. And you know why? Because we have two candidates we're looking at and we're going, oh my gosh. We ask both of them to step up and run. Right? I mean, that's 90% of you. And you're in this room going, oh, well, I, I, uh, and we're just, our confidence is shaken. 
But I'll tell you this, God will often shake your confidence in order to rebuild your confidence. Maybe God's allowing all this to happen because he says, I want my church to become the force in this world that can change the world. Jesus didn't die for a political party. He died for people. Kind of like David. David was afraid. Saul's chasing him, throwing spears at him, trying to tell him, you'll never be king. God had already told him he was gonna be king. And in Psalms 27, one, he says, the Lord is the light of my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Question mark. The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And then I love what he says in verse 13. He says, I remain confident. Talk about your confidence being shaken. He said, I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord. (laughs) David's out here. He's about to be killed by Saul. He doesn't care. He's like, God's my stronghold. If God wants me to be king, God says I'm going to be king. Listen, if God wants our country to go through something so that we will come back to him, we need to be willing to say, God, I will run to you because you are my refuge. And I will not let my confidence be shaken because I will remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord regardless of what the news media says. Some of you are watching the wrong channel. You go, really? Is there another news station? Yeah, man, God's word. (laughs) I read the back the other day. We still win. Yep. Last verse of the Bible. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. That's me. That's me. I'm one of them people. God's grace is here. We win. So he leaves the place where he's at and he starts going to Jairus' house and look what it says in verse 37. He didn't let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And when they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with the people crying and wailing loudly. And he went in and said to them, why all the commotion and wailing? This child is not dead, but asleep. I love that because they're in there going, oh, hey, how much did he say he'd pay us? Oh, we love this little girl. You think he'll pay us before we finish or afterwards? Jesus walks in, he says, hey, what's all this commotion? (laughs) What's going on in here? Jesus knew exactly what was going on there. He says, why all this commotion? This child's not dead, but asleep. Look at verse 40, but they laughed at him. Have you ever had a sixth grade boy laugh at you before? I vision that was the type of laughter they did towards Jesus. Kind of like, hey, sucker, you crazy, Jesus. It says they laughed at him. And look what it says. And he put them all out. And he took the child's father and mother and the disciples were with him and they went in to where the child was. See, I find it ironic that Jesus going in to heal the girl puts the scorners and the doubters and the haters out. It's almost like he's saying, God has to remove unbelief so that healing can happen. I I just tell you that. I think that's happening in the American church. 
I think the more we face a struggle in a crisis, we're gonna see people say, no man, I'm done. Like I love Jesus to the point that the songs were good, but once the lights were crazy or, or once, once it actually cost me like having to give to the Lord or, or once you know, all my needs weren't being, I'm just out. Jesus said, hey, God has to remove unbelief so that the healing can come in. And let me tell you what I've seen, okay? This is just 28 years. This is just a mere observation. Those filled with unbelief never receive the blessing and they never experience the breakthrough. They just remain bothered. Sometimes God even has to remove people. The skeptics, the doubters, I told the Lord this week as I was studying, I said, Lord, I pray you never have to remove me because of unbelief. Sometimes God has to remove unbelief so the healing can happen. I mean, God can do everything he can to ready a people for a blessing, but sometimes the breakthrough only comes when God cuts away our unbelief. He walks in and he gets these guys out of the room And here's the thing I think you also got to realize when you read that story. If you're going to believe God, you have to ignore the critics and the condition. Sean, don't you know how bad it is in our world? Yeah, I know how bad it is. That's been going on since the day that Adam and Eve sinned in a garden. Listen, there was human trafficking way before we had an X for it and a sign for it and a t-shirt and a movement about it. Don't you know? Sometimes you just got to believe God to the point that you got to ignore the critics in the conversation, the condition, because Jesus walks in and look at verse 41. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. And immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around and she was 12 years old. And at this, they were completely astonished and he gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this. And he told that, why? Because he knew it's like, bro, if everyone finds out I'm healing people like this, the crowds are gonna get larger. People will be pulling on me all the time. I mean, he just knew it's like, I gotta, I gotta stay here 33 years, right? Like I gotta make it to the cross. He's like, wait a minute, don't share this yet. He gave them orders not to tell anyone about this and told them to give her something to eat. He heals her. But he does so much more for Jairus. And I'm gonna tell you, Jesus in this moment does so much more for you and me. And here's why. The greatest healing we will ever experience is when God heals our unbelief. Some of you in this room, you're desperate for relational healing. You're desperate for financial healing. You're desperate for physical healing. But I want to tell you where it starts. The greatest healing we experience is when God heals our unbelief. Jesus is walking on this earth right now through us, through the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us. And he's healing people. He's changing people. He's calling people to himself. And listen, church, it's time that we stand up in belief and start charging for his kingdom and believing that God wants us to take his love and his power and his grace and tell the whole world about it. But for that to happen, God's got to heal our unbelief because unbelief will always be the greatest hindrance we have to deal with in our life.
You say greater than cancer? Oh, much greater than cancer. Listen, when Jesus said these words to Letha Coombe to this girl, hey girl, get up, it had no difference what her condition was. It had everything to do with who he was. See, here's why this so supercharges me today. If this is true, and it is, our possibilities are not limited by what we see. Some of you are living your life on probabilities. Well, if Trump gets elected, if Hillary gets elected, what if they blow the whole thing up and we don't have a president? I mean, there's so much conspiracy theory. You're living your life on probabilities. Listen, if this is true that Jesus heals, our possibilities are not limited to what we see. Listen to what Paul said. 2 Corinthians 4.18, he says, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is on unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So I want to tell you a story before we close today. Two Sundays ago, we got a call. One of our church members was very ill. That night we had new members class and we got a call that said that his body had literally shut down and that he was on full life support and they didn't believe he'd make it through the night. He fell putting a um, flag up in support of the Chicago Cubs. He's been a lifelong Cubs fan. Hit his head, had to have a surgery, have some things removed that had happened and in all of that, his body just shut down and we got the call that said, hey, um, we're at the hospital. We're gonna go home for the night, but we fully expect in the middle of the night, we're gonna get a call. They even got a call in the middle of the night, said he, he's not doing good. He may not make it. They had literally shut down every organ in his body. Myself, Jake, Nicole McNutt, we get in the car Monday morning and we drive up there and we're praying, Lord, we trust you. We walk in, we walk into the waiting room and the two sons and the mom come out and they look at us and they're crying and they said, he's awake. He's alive. They're starting to pull the systems off of him. I wanna show you a picture, his name's Bob Miller. Wednesday night he got to see his Cubs win a World Series. I went in that day to pray with him and, and some of our staff went in and, and I grabbed his hand and I didn't expect him to squeeze back, but I just said, Bob, I'm gonna pray for you. And he squeezed my hand. And I said, he's got more life in him. Listen, guys, what should scare us in our world is not what we see, but what we don't truly believe about God. Let's pray together. Thanks again for listening to this week's message. Remember, you can find more sermons just like this one on our website at southcrest.church. If you have any questions about our church, email us at hello at southcrest.tv. We'll see you next time.